We are going to be reading from Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Good morning. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10 is uh, what we're going to be looking over. Uh, And before I start, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we are humbled that you have called us to this church to serve in this community And we ask, God, that you would empower us to be great representatives of you and to forgive us of the misrepresentation uh, whenever that has happened. Uh, We pray, Lord, for your spirit to fill our church, to do things that are beyond our ability, beyond our giftings, beyond our skill sets, and that may glory and honor be given to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's passage brings us to Jesus' last personal encounter before he entered Jerusalem. And this was the last time Jesus met someone outside of Jerusalem who was interested in meeting him. And you talk about a really dramatic conversion story. This is really dramatic. Now, before we venture into this story of Zacchaeus, I'd like us to take a brief look at another tax collector's story because it may provide us with some information in regards to looking at Zacchaeus' story and giving us some insight maybe. So Luke chapter 5 verses 27 through 29. Luke records this for us. After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me. And leaving everything he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Now this is something I wonder about. I wonder if Zacchaeus was one of those in the large number of tax collectors who ate with Jesus. Because, you know, think about it. I mean, this guy is a chief tax collector. And so of all the buddies, he's like, hey, come over. I got Jesus over here. And maybe he was there because, you know, all the tax collectors, these guys are outcasts of society. And so their community wasn't really accepting of them. So to gain that fellowship and that friendship, they would probably look towards other tax collectors. So this was a group that hung out with one another. So it wouldn't be all that surprising if Zacchaeus was one of the tax collectors who was present at Levi's house. Not Levi Strauss, Levi's house. Now just a note, I'm not saying that's a fact. I'm just saying maybe. But perhaps from that time where he casually met Jesus, it really sparked an interest in him as to who Jesus is. So when he heard that Jesus was passing through his town, he'd do something drastic to see him again because when he first met him the first time, that guy's cool. Now something like 
climbing up a sycamore tree for a tax collector, that's not so uh, refined. Right? I mean, he's, he's kind of humbling himself to go on and do something like this. And so he really wanted to meet Jesus. And so all I'm saying is maybe Jesus met Zacchaeus before. Because he did call him out by name in verse 5. And again, this is all just conjecture, so please don't take it as biblical. Now, oh, he did meet him. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying maybe. Now then, verses 30 through 32. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, verses 31 and 32 are what I really find relevant to the story of Zacchaeus, not whether or not he was actually at Levi's house, even though I find that really interesting. What's relevant to verses 31 and 32 is found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, our text today, where it's recorded, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that is obviously connected to, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus stopped by Levi's house not to try on a new pair of jeans, but because there were people who needed to meet him. He went to Zacchaeus' house because there was someone who needed to meet him. And Jesus continues to meet people where they are at, whether it's some more corporate thing uh, like a gathering at church or at Levi's house or a more personal meeting like he had with Zacchaeus. Because Jesus is in the business of meeting people who are in need. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And everyone needs Jesus because everyone is lost. But I don't think everyone knows that they're in need or that they're lost. But the Bible is quite clear that we are in need of a Savior because we have all sinned before a holy God. And if you have doubts about Jesus this morning, I'd like you to ask Him to reveal Himself to you. And that maybe through the study of the Bible this morning or maybe through some other way, I just know that I'm so confident that Jesus will answer you just like he did Zacchaeus in Jericho, if you would ask him. Now, verse 1 of our text this morning, he entered Jericho and was passing through. A little background about Jericho. Jericho back in Jesus' day was this really highly desired place to live. People relocated there because this was just a pleasant place to be. The climate was good. The location was great. And it's much like how people find parts of the Bay Area to be. Now, actually, we know quite a bit about Jericho. Because after Jerusalem, Jericho is the most excavated site in all of Israel. So we actually know quite a bit about Jericho. Back in this time, it was called the City of Palms. because It was full of palm trees. It was this oasis that was filled with streams and and springs in and around the city. And so in the desert, water is the most precious commodity. There is no commodity greater than water in the desert. So here was plenty of fresh water, and it it was known for its plentiful plant life. And so not just palm trees, but plants as well, or trees. Here, here we had fruit trees and, and uh, sycamore trees, as referenced in our text this morning. So this is a place that was full of vegetation. It was beautifully lush. It had great climate. It had a ton of jobs. And so here was Jericho. It sat on this major trade route. It was the trade route that went to Arabia. And so there was a lot of commerce going on here. And this is a very happening city. 
So because it was such a happening city, what do you think Rome was going to do about it? They were going to tax it. Not only were they going to tax it, they were going to make sure that their military presence was there to ensure that those tax dollars were going to come to them. So these commercial cities and these happening cities, like a Jericho, they had their military presence there, and they had their business there, and they had all this natural resources there. But along with all of that, what comes with that? Crime. It goes along with all of that. And you can see that in our major metropolitan cities today. So Rome was going to station their military there in Jericho because of all these reasons. Now that's why Jesus used Jericho in the Good Samaritan story. Do you recall that? In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Jesus told this story because it was well understood that the road to Jericho, sketchy. It's like going down international. Right? It's just a sketchy thing. And so, because bandits, they would hide in those limestone caves and, and they would prey on folks who they could take advantage of. So if you're not this Roman garrison or if you didn't have this protection going through, you could fall susceptible to these guys. And these guys didn't just stay on the roadside, right? They, they came into town every once in a while. They, they had to come in and, and buy stuff, and they had to come in and trade stuff that they stole. They had to come into town. So, so Rome had to be sure that things were in order. And so they placed a military outpost there in Jericho. Now, with the Roman presence so prevalent, you knew that you could count on being taxed. You knew that you were going to be taxed, and you are going to be taxed on everything. And so all the trade going in and out and all the jobs and all the agriculture, all the tourism, this is a major, major, major city. There were going to be tax collectors aplenty for Rome there. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Verse 2, And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Why was he rich? There are a lot of taxes to be collected in Jericho. This guy had a bunch of people working with him. And if one was traveling to Jerusalem at the time, this was the last major stop before entering Jerusalem on this route. I mean, there was a lot of ways into Jerusalem, but in this route from Arabia, this is the last major stop. So that being the case, any time there was this national celebration or, or a feast such as the Passover, as is the case here, The Passover is approaching. So everyone coming up that road to go to Jerusalem, they were coming through this route. And there were a lot of these celebratory processionals running through Jericho as people were heading into Jerusalem. You know, it's just like Mardi Gras or something, right? Like people partying and getting ready to go and and they're moving through. And so at these processionals, it was tradition for the people of Jericho to come out and be hospitable and welcome the visitors that were traveling through. So, yeah, you're coming through, going to Jerusalem, and all this stuff. And some of you have experienced this when you've gone to other countries. I don't think it happens too much here in the U.S. because, I don't know, I think we're a little stuffy or something. I don't know what it is. But when I've traveled to Kenya, there's a welcome. There's a welcome from the people with, with each respective town and each respective village. And I remember when, when visiting in the bush area of Kenya called the Pokot. No, the Pokot. I don't know if you guys know this. That's where most of the marathon world champions are from. The Pokot. And I know why. They don't have shoes. It is so hot. You gotta run fast. (laughs) 
I was like, that's why. Look at that. And so the whole village, they would gather and they would welcome us. And, and in Nakuru, it's the third largest city in Kenya, I believe, where we've supported an orphanage and a rescue center and a, and a school. Before we arrive, everyone in town knows that we're coming. They know that we're coming and there will be a string of people who are welcoming us and coming by the host home that we're at. And there will be dozens of neighbors from the neighborhood coming into that host family's home, coming to greet us and welcome us. So when visitors pass through, crowds of people would come out to greet us and observe us and just watch us. And, oh, look at oh, he, he he does that to his tea and all this other stuff, right? And it's so it's not that much different from Jesus' day in Jericho. Jesus was passing through and there was this huge following with Jesus. The crowd was multiplying as he got closer to Jericho because the people would start to pour out from the city to see who's this guy. I mean, this is a big dust cloud that's coming through. And what's all this commotion about? So this would just grow and grow. And if any of you have wondered how people passed on news before Facebook, they did it by word of mouth. They just did it by... So-and-so's coming through. So-and-so's coming. And it would just be like telephone, right? And everyone would know. And I would argue that it was faster than what we have today in today's technology. I don't know how that's possible. But news travels fast in towns. Right? It just does. And everyone knew Jesus was passing through that day. No Twitter. But people just knew where Jesus was on the road to Jericho and approximately how far he was and how long it would take before he arrived. And they knew that he stopped that blue bottle for a cup of coffee. That's what we serve in our cafe, by the way. So, you know, if you want to be like Jesus, you know, go right over there. And everyone came out to meet Jesus in Jericho that day. Who wouldn't come out to meet Jesus? Because all the stories, everyone knew about it. The guy who raised people from the dead. The guy who gave sight to the blind. The guy who could walk on water. The guy who cleansed lepers. The guy who multiplied fish and and bread. And the guy who calmed the storm. The guy who healed the demon-possessed. The guy claiming to be Messiah. Massive crowds of people coming out to see Jesus. And His fame preceded His physical appearance. And people came out in droves to see Jesus, including Zacchaeus. Verses 3 and 4. And He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, He could not because He was small of stature. So He ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Him, for He was about to pass that way. You see how detailed Luke is? He even tells you the type of tree. And I find this interesting because it's known for the city of palms, right? So you got to think, like, Zacchaeus climbed a palm tree? I mean, that's pretty tough. Right? So he says, no, it was a sycamore tree. It's a little lower. He could climb up and then climb up the tree. I love Luke. This guy's so awesome. Anyway, the people of Jericho probably knew he was going to stop by Jericho because this was the final rest stop before Jerusalem. But where in Jericho would he stop? A Pharisee's house? Uh, a rich ruler's house? An uh, influential politician? Whose house would he stop by? A chief tax collector's home. A sinner among sinners. Now you talk about the least likely of people. You talk about the outcast of society. Zacchaeus wasn't fully accepted by the Romans, nor was he fully accepted by the Jews. Accepted on neither side. 
He's not accepted by the Romans because he's not Roman. He's not accepted by the Jews because he's cheating them of money. So he's not accepted on either side. But Jesus is always on the lookout for the outcast. He's always on the lookout for the marginalized. And last week, he stopped for a physically blind man. And today we read about Jesus stopping for Zacchaeus. A man that was definitely not well received by his community. And a man who was seeking Jesus. Now maybe there's someone listening to the message today who is seeking Jesus. And if you seek Jesus, you will find him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 about the kingdom of God, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, for some reason, Zacchaeus decided to seek Jesus. We don't know the exact reason, but I don't think it's that different for those of us in our contemporary world, modern world, as to why we seek Jesus. Because for some of us, it might have to do with something with our conscience. That we just know that things aren't matching up between how we are living and who we want to be. Or maybe it's curiosity. You wonder what's up with this whole Jesus thing. Maybe it's a desire for change. That You're just tired of how things are going in your life. And you're hoping that Jesus is true because He said that His yoke is easy and His burden is light and you are hoping for that. Zacchaeus wasn't accepted amongst the religious, even though he was seeking. The religious folks in his day were probably folks who were glaring at him and and pointing the finger at him and talking behind his back, not wanting him to come into their synagogue or their temple, which it was forbidden to let them in. And they were just kind of like talking smack about him. How are we doing as a church? How are we doing as followers of Jesus towards the tax collectors of our time? Do we mistreat people who are actually seeking God? They're seeking Him. Are we misrepresenting Jesus by not reaching out to the marginalized? Who have we cast it aside? Jesus was compassionate to the outcasts, and there were many who followed Jesus who many overlooked because they weren't enough. They weren't smart enough. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough influence. They didn't have enough power. They didn't have enough. But with Jesus, it's enough. Whatever you have, it's enough. And He invites us in to be His friend. He invites us into a relationship with Him. Not just a friendship, but a relationship where your sin may be forgiven and where He is your Savior. The church, our church perhaps, may have misrepresented Jesus to you. Or Christians may have misrepresented Jesus to you. But Jesus desires a friendship with you. And friendship was a big thing to Zacchaeus because he didn't have too many of them. Someone who was an outcast of society, don't you think he desired someone to befriend him? Someone that he could hang out with? Someone that he could talk with and just have a meal with? Have you noticed anyone who may need a listening ear? An invitation to be a part of whatever you're a part of. Friendship is a powerful thing. 
And, and I want to encourage those of you who call Regen your home to invite people into your communities, to invite them into your small groups, into your social gatherings, into your hobbies, your passions, and help people feel welcomed into our community. Living life together and not in isolation from one another. And if you're lonely, I hope that our community comes around you. And and if you're able, may you share with us that you're lonely and you'd like to get connected. If you're not, I pray that someone or somehow we're directed towards you because maybe you're shy or maybe you don't want to let people know of your issues or maybe you're just a little bit more reserved. But I, I just pray that you would get connected somehow and we could come around you to support you in whatever you're going through. And I hope that, uh, that we can be more like Jesus, sensitive to the needs of the people around us and able to see someone in their need and invite them to be part of His life, Jesus' life. Especially when they are willingly seeking God. Think about this. Zacchaeus made a concerted effort to see Jesus. He ran ahead, right? He positioned himself in a tree to ensure that he could see Jesus because he knew that he wasn't going to be able to get through this crowd. Big shot Zacchaeus in all his fancy clothes with a fancy house with with the servants and a ton of money and all this stuff. He humbled himself to climb a tree so he could see Jesus. It's the same thing for people who come to church. Think about the effort that they've put to come here. That they are willingly seeking God. That they are willingly seeking Jesus. We don't know every single person who visits here, but when someone comes to church, they've put forth that effort. They could be sleeping in. Or they had to get up in order to get here at 9.30. And they've humbled themselves to where they've made the effort to come here. Whether they have a family, maybe they're getting their kids ready or they're married or whatever it may be. And once they're here... How are we treating them? Just like, oh, you're just another one. You're just another God-seeker. Is this a place where they can see Jesus? See Jesus manifest within our church corporately, within us individually. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Do you know what's really ironic? Is the name Zacchaeus. Because his name means pure and innocent. That's what Zacchaeus means. Names meant a lot more back in that day than they do in our society. Because for us, we tend to just kind of look at names that they kind of sound nice or that they flow well with our last name. That's what I do. That's what my wife and I did. Our kids' names are long because my last name's short. It's Lee. So it's to have like... She has to have a longer name and then... So that's, that's why we did what we did. And that's what we do, right? But people back in that day, people back in that day, they, they desired for their child to take on the meaning of that name, Zacchaeus. Like, my name Albert means noble. <laughs> I don't think my parents thought that, though. They, they were like, oh, what's the name? Name book. A. Oh, there. There's the name. I think that's what they did. So imagine Zacchaeus' parents. Zacchaeus is born... And their desire, like, oh, I pray this kid is just pure. And that he's just an innocent child. And they're raising him to be that. And they're like, just love it. Like, oh, this pure and innocent. Look at him. 
four decades later, chief tax collector. It just doesn't fit that name. I mean, hi, what's your name? Oh, my name's Joe. What's your name? Zacchaeus. You're a tax collector. That's hilarious. Pure and innocent. This guy's name is pure and innocent. He's robbing me blind. It's pure and innocent. And so people are just probably like laughing at him all the time. Can you believe this guy's name, Zacchaeus? Pure and innocent. It's kind of like a really big guy named Tiny. Have you ever met him before? It's like that. It's like, hi. But you wouldn't laugh at him. You'd be like, hi, Tiny. It reminds me of this story. Katie and I, when we first got married, uh, we went to... um, the Berkeley Humane, to adopt a dog. And so when we went in there, I wanted a big dog. And so went in there, and this dog's name was Tiny. And Tiny was not tiny. Tiny was humongous, at least 180 pounds. And he was this Akita mix. And he was awesome. And I, we brought him into the room. He went on, he, we were like playing and stuff, and I was wrestling with him, and, and he was a puppy. He got on my lap and he plopped himself on my like, oh! I was like, and I'm playing with him. And it just, it made me laugh. It made me think of Sandlot, right? Like that big old dog. I was like, this is tiny. And so here we have pure and innocent Zacchaeus collecting taxes for the oppressive Roman Empire against his own people and cheating them and collecting more than what was required so that he can be rich. And so he's stealing from people, and he's embezzling, and he's corrupt, and he's taking bribes, and he's doing all this stuff. He's so pure, and he's so innocent. guy was not a good guy. This is a bad guy. And yet Jesus wanted to hang out with him. And this is so Jesus. Jesus who said in Luke chapter 13, 30, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. The humble will be received and the prideful will be rejected. The spiritually broken will be welcomed and the religiously arrogant will be snubbed. Right? You, you remember this parable, the tax collector who was praying and the Pharisee who was praying and saying, thank God I'm not like this guy. And Jesus is all about finding the lost. Because you remember the other parables that we've looked at in Luke chapter 15, right? The, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, the prodigal son. And Jesus is all about seeking to save the lost. Do you think that this last personal encounter outside of Jerusalem was an accident? Do you think that this was just by chance? There's no way. God had plans for Zacchaeus. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Zacchaeus was lost. And and out of all the people Jesus could have him host him and, and his disciples, it was him. The least likely in the eyes of everyone. So Jesus knew him by name. And so, like I said, quite possibly from a meeting before, maybe at Levi's house, and maybe he was like, hey, nice to see you again, Zacchaeus. Maybe it's just because he's God. And he knows, he's omniscient. And I don't know which it is or if it's something else, if it's some, some other scenario. 
But I do know Jesus knew him by name. Just like he knows you and I by name. He knows us. And we're not just a number. We matter. And you and I count. And he came to seek and save the lost. Verses 6 and 7. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Isn't that like Luke chapter 5 too when he went into Levi's house and grumbling and grumpy and stuff? Now we can assume that Zacchaeus had a pretty nice home as we're told he was rich and that he probably put on a pretty nice spread and I think tax collectors like the party. I just think that. Levi's house, you know, he had put on that big feast. I think these guys just know how to put on a party. So he pulls out all the stops of hospitality and he welcomes Jesus into his home. And it's probably the first time a rabbi stepped foot into his home. Probably. And as Jesus was there seeking to save the lost, everyone was grumbling. Everyone else was grumbling. Zacchaeus' heart changed and the people don't rejoice in that. They're grumbling. Here we have someone who was lost beginning to transform, and we don't read that the transformation was because of a theological debate or a doctrinal discussion. It was as simple as hearing Jesus call to come down from the tree so that they could hang out. And that's what he did. And that's it. He simply did what Jesus instructed him to do. Jesus didn't tell him to go join a church to attend a small group, to stop being a tax collector, to do this ritual, to do, to do this sacrament, even though all of those things are good things. He simply did what Jesus asked him at the time. That's it. And that was true transformation. That was real conversion. And it was a supernatural thing, not a man-made thing. But the people grumbled. And they didn't recognize what was happening. All they could do was see that Jesus was hanging out with the most despicable man in all of Jericho. We don't know what they talked about in that home. It's not recorded. right? All we know is that Zacchaeus changed when he encountered Jesus. He changed. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Talk about change. This guy is not the same man anymore. Maybe Zacchaeus asked Jesus what he needed to do to make things right. right? Or maybe he just did it on his own because he knew that he needed to give to the poor and he needed to make restitution to anyone he defrauded. Maybe they talked a little bit about Leviticus chapter 6. Verses 2-5 through five, Leviticus 6, Moses wrote this, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. Zacchaeus realized his guilt and he acted on it. And he didn't just give the 20% on top of what he took. His restitution, he had four times the amount in mind. This guy's totally changed. 
This past Friday, this is kind of an embarrassing story for me to share with you, but I, I like to do that. So I went out to eat with my family on Friday night, and the waiter, he forgot to add one of the dishes to our bill. And so it came out to less than what I thought it was going to be. And so I looked at it, and um, I saw that he forgot an item. So I called the waiter over to, to tell him that he forgot to charge us for this dish. This is the embarrassing part. There was a split second there where I was tested on whether to be honest or not. Because I was like, hmm, cool. It's his fault. He forgot. So this cheap, sinful guy that you see before you. I have this other cheap, sinful guy too. He's on my shoulder. And he's telling me, that's the waiter's fault. Don't pay it. That's the waiter's fault. He's a dummy. And inside of me, I knew the right thing. And I don't tell you this to boast about myself because I'm actually embarrassed that it even enters my mind that I don't just be like, oh, you forgot it, huh? Not even entering my mind. Not even a temptation. Not even a test. I wish that it was like that, but it's not. I got this little thing saying, don't pay it, don't pay it. And so I tell you this because we're, we're always being tested. Always. And, and I also tell you this because God is so gracious. God is so gracious to me. So Friday night was also the night I went back to studying this passage and where I came across Leviticus chapter 6. That very night. And I find God to be so gracious because one way or another, God was going to confront me with doing the right thing. God was like, if you go that way, Leviticus 6, buddy, and you're going to pay more. You're going to go back there and you're going to pay 20% on top of it. So knowing that I was cheap, he probably was gracious to me and saying, just pay now. You don't want to pay more later. That's, that's how much he loves us. And that's how gracious he is to us. And he's giving us time after time just these opportunities to, to do the right thing, to do the righteous thing, because he knows that sin kills. Sin separates. And he's so gracious to provide us ways of living righteously, providing Jesus to atone us for of our sins and to provide salvation to us as sons of Abraham. Verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now Abraham trusted in God, he believed in God, and Abraham was a friend of God, just as Zacchaeus trusted and believed in Jesus and became a friend of Jesus. And through that relationship with Jesus, he was saved. A true son of Abraham isn't just a descendant because of genetics, but because the true son of Abraham also had the faith in God that Abraham had. Now, in thinking about this, how are we doing as a church when the sinful guy comes to the Lord and he did some horrendous things? Are we grumbling, thinking to ourselves, he needs to pay restitution, justice needs to be done, he needs to do this, he needs to do that. I would say, let the Lord do that. Let the Bible do that for us. Let that be the judge. That we, we aren't to be the judge of those people. That they are really just under the jurisdiction of one judge. And we are to be gracious around them and to love them and to accept them. And we, we're not to be the judge and to be grumbling about, oh, you know, you used to be this. Now do this laundry list of things before things are right. Because how often are we pushing people away from coming into church? How many times are we pushing people away into a relationship with Jesus Christ because we have this laundry list of stuff that they have to do before coming in and yet they're seeking God and Jesus is ministering to them and yet we're outside just grumbling. I can't believe it. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus, in verse 3, went seeking to see who Jesus was. He went out on a limb, literally. And Jesus went to Jericho to seek and save the lost. And and he came to the place Zacchaeus was hanging out on the sycamore tree in verse 5. Out of all places in a big old city, there he was. And Jesus went to Jericho looking for Zacchaeus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But you know what? We have to respond. There is a limb that we have to climb onto. There is a response from us. And you recall the rich young ruler who we encountered a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 18. In verse 22, Jesus told him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now I don't know if Jesus told Zacchaeus to do that same thing or not but I think he got it. Jesus went on to say in Luke chapter 18, verses 24 through 27, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Now what a fulfillment to that promise a chapter later in Zacchaeus. Right? He, he, he understood. He got it. Zacchaeus didn't have this idol holding him back from giving his life to Jesus. An idol of, of riches. An, an idol of vocation. Career. And, and where others failed because they were attempting to modify Zacchaeus' behavior and his morality, Jesus succeeded because he came to seek and save the lost. Not to modify his behavior or to change his vocation. Zacchaeus was probably judged and condemned by many. A lot of the religious folks that he was going around in Jericho, because Jericho was a Levitical city, and so there were a lot of priests there, so it wouldn't be all that surprising if Zacchaeus was confronted time and time again, give to the poor and provide restitution for all these people that you've stolen from. Do that. Do that. And the church does this all the time, right? Believe this. Believe that. Do this. Do that. And just telling people how to do things and what to do and all this kind of stuff. Why couldn't the priests accomplish what they were wanting to accomplish? Why were they not successful at changing his life? Why was the encounter with Jesus so moving that he he sacrificially gave and he provided restitution so easily in one lunch? He did that. And he did it joyfully. How is that possible that years of priests and probably religious folks saying, do this, do that, doesn't work, and one lunch with Jesus changes him? See, the love of Jesus is so much more motivating and inspiring than guilt, than shame, than legalism, than religiosity or manipulation any day. It works so much better. Love works so much better. How are we doing with this? Do we encourage people to meet Jesus, to to fall in love with Jesus? Or is it more about manipulating people with guilt and shame and legalism and religion and to modify their behavior? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So do we advocate this or are we in the way, grumbling. 
See, Zacchaeus had a huge laundry list of sins. And you don't get to be a chief tax collector by being a Boy Scout, right? That doesn't happen. This guy knew about extortion. He knew about corruption. He knew about embezzlement. He knew about bribery. He was good at stealing. He was good at lying. And all of that cleansed because Jesus offers forgiveness from all your sins. Jesus paid the price for all your sins on the cross. And no one else can offer that to you. No one else can offer that forgiveness to you. Some of you may be struggling to find significance in your life. Wondering if, you know, is this it? This is all that life has to offer? And I want to encourage you. Almighty God, creator of the universe, sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to seek and save you. Because you are worth it. You are so valuable. He died on the cross for you so that you can have a relationship with Him because you matter and you are significant and you are important to God. It's not what you are doing. It is what He has done for you. God has a mission for you. Follow Jesus and then disciple others to do the same. That's the significance. That is the worthy mission. That is your purpose in life. It's not these other things that you're all caught up on, making more money and doing this and getting fame and notoriety and popularity and all this stuff. You have a hand in eternity. Think about that. I mean, are you kidding me? You influence eternity? You have an opportunity to impact eternity. It's not just this little 74-year life and then that's it. To make an impact in the world for something temporary. That's so small compared to that. But even if we're looking at a smaller mission or goal or purpose, like making an impact for the temporary thing of the world, what do you need to sacrifice? Even in this world, how many people do you have to walk over? How much money do you need to spend? How much time do you need to give to other things important to your life and and put aside everything else? And yet with Jesus to impact eternity in comparison to the things of the world, not to mention that that stuff is temporary, in comparison to the things of the world, that's not even a fair comparison. Because all Jesus told Zacchaeus to do was come down from the tree. You just do the next thing. And a minute invested in the temporary world, it yields you a temporary gain. But that same minute, that same 60 seconds invested into eternity, yields eternal gain. What's the better return on investment? A minute in this temporary world or a minute into eternity? It's the same 60 seconds. But I don't want to paint a picture that it's all just easy. And The investment into eternity will cost you. It'll cost you a lot. It'll cost you your sins. All that stuff that you enjoy and like, dead. You have to deny yourself of that stuff. You can't be freed from your sins in Jesus, but still be imprisoned to your sins. And it's not to say that you won't struggle with your sins, but are you in bondage to your sins? Do your sins just control your life? Does your sin always win? Can you say no to your sins? Are you self-reliant? Are you reliant on an idol? Or are you reliant on Jesus? Does Jesus occupy that top spot in your life? 
See, a relationship with Jesus doesn't come without cost. It comes at a cost. But it's not nearly as costly as turning a relationship with Jesus down. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace and mercy that You extended to Zacchaeus, showing us that You still extend that to us in present day. And Lord, may we not make things so complicated for ourselves and for other people as well, Lord, that You simply called Zacchaeus to come down and to be with You, to follow You, and that You wanted to dine with him. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be ministered to by Your Word, that we would be ministered to by one another. Help us to navigate how we're living our life as followers of Yours. I pray, God, that You would bless each person here. In Jesus' name, Amen.